You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Hey, Boneheads. How's it going? This is Matt. Uh, let me give you a little snapshot. Of, uh, let me paint a picture of what I'm doing right now. I'm not in my wife's closet. I'm standing in the middle of a tour bus going down the highway in, on the way to Dallas, Texas. And the really fun part is that our bus generator has broken down. It's 100 degrees outside, and I'm sure it's hundreds of degrees inside this 40-foot metal coffin of sweat that we're living in. Toby and I are out on the road playing Emory shows, playing with As Cities Burn. Brings me to something important to tell you about, and that is Aaron Lunsford from As Cities Burn's book that we are publishing. We got some advanced copies yesterday. We have some at the show. It looks amazing. It's a big, thick, real book. It's called Backstage, How I Almost Got Rich in a Christian Hardcore Band. It's excellent, and I'm so proud to see a finished copy of a full book that we've published that he's written. We're on tour with them now. So go to AaronLunsford.com or go to BadChristian.com forward slash Backstage Book and pre-order a copy today. Also, come see As Cities Burning Emory on tour. Come do a VIP with us on our sweat bus. We'll have the air condition fixed eventually here. But uh, go to emorymusic.com forward slash VIP and get a VIP ticket and come hang out with Toby and I. We're going to be in Dallas tonight, San Antonio tomorrow, uh, Southern California Tuesday, uh, Phoenix on Tuesday, and then Southern California after that. You can figure the rest out. emorymusic.com forward slash VIP. And when I say us, I assume you know I mean Emory. Toby and I play in a a screamo band called Emory. And yeah, last night was the first night of tour. It was crazy, and I am, in fact, a little late publishing this episode, so forgive me. And over the next couple of weeks, if if we get off, if we miss a a deadline, if the show posts a little bit late, then you're going to just have to roll with it. I'll trust you in advance on that. So also, Joey's on a vacation. So what we did on this episode is Toby and I sat down with Shane Claiborne for the whole episode. Shane kind of replaces Joey. Um, We talk. We talk to him. We do the news. Uh, Joey calls in for a minute. But this is one is Matt, Toby, and Shane. Shane co-hosting with us because he's such a a sweet dude and gets along with us pretty good. So we thought we'd have, have a good time having him hang for the whole episode. Yeah. Sorry. One more thing. I got one more note here. And that is... The Classic Crime, the band on BC Music, Matt McDonald's band, uh, one of our favorite bands, they have a tour coming up too. Their tour is called Up the Middle Tour because it goes literally right up the middle of the country. It starts on August 8th in Midland, Texas. That's all, That's awesome. Midland, Texas, Wichita, Lawrence, Kansas, Omaha, Des Moines, Minneapolis, and Williston, North Dakota. Giving some love to some small markets. That's going to be great. If you're anywhere near those, please go see The Classic Crime and Least of These uh, on the Up the Middle Tour, August 8th through August 15th. You can get tickets and VIP tickets for that right now if you go to aftontickets.tv forward slash TCC. All right, let's get on with it. Hey, Matt. Hey, what's up? I'm going solo today. Right now, I got to start this off fresh. I got to start this off tight, and I got to start this off on my own for the first time. Here I go. A three, two, one. I'm about to beatbox. <laughs> Matt, you have to say <laughs> what bad quirks. Yeah, I'll do, that. I'll do that part. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> it's the big Christian. Welcome to the 
the Bad Christian Podcast to everybody. You are in luck today. You're here with Matt and Toby. Ain't no Joey up in here. Can we can we call him? Can he call in or something? Can we just at least talk and figure out where he's at in the world? Yep, Joey's on on. Uh, we'll see. We we don't have Joey, so we got him calling in. So let's find out where he is and what he's up to for a minute here. All right. Hey, Joey, what's up? We're on air. What's up, you two? How are y'all doing? We're doing, We're doing good, great, man. bud. How are you doing? Yeah, tell us what's going on. You know, I just want to say that I have. I, I gave up a whole whitewater rafting trip just to get on here and talk to my best friends for five minutes. You so you that, mean the whitewater trip trip left without you just now? They left without me, man, and that was a conscious decision. I was just like, you know what? If I have an opportunity to talk to my best friends for like three minutes or go whitewater rafting with my wife and a bunch of other pastors, hell, I'm going to take the five minute conversation with my best friends any day. Wait, you're on a so I just want you guys trip? to remember that. You're on a What's pastor's that? trip right now? Yeah, pastors uh-huh. and wife retreat. Oh boy, what do so, you what do y'all do that every other weekend or what? Uh, you know, it's we're talking about doing it every other weekend. <laughs> um, and y'all just I think need the to next get away. <laughs> 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 no, nah, it really is. Uh, it's it's pretty cool because how Seacoast is set up. You got pastors from, you know. Asheville, Greenville, Columbia, Charleston, and uh, so we don't get to see each other that much. But it is it is uh, pretty encouraging to hang out, and uh, we're actually uh, talking over. Uh, Toby's well aware of this. They had like a big staff survey, um, you know, and just how this church can improve things that we suck at, things that we're good at, and so you're good at vacations and trips. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not for everybody else, though. Here's my suggestion for you to bring up in the meeting is tell them, say, hey, we've been taken care of well by the church paying for our vacations. Next time, let's skip it, and everybody in our church that works construction, we're going to pay for a vacation for them and their wives to go. Shut up. Shut up. (laughs) Then Okay, then let's let's whine about how good uh, employers are to Starbucks and say they're bad for treating their employees good, and hey, let's... Let's go ahead and get health benefits for the construction workers down the road. If an organization wants to do special things for their people, then, hell, that's their prerogative. I, I, I agree with Joey here. I think pastors get a bad, uh, you know, uh, take on this, that people think that, oh, well, man, what does a pastor do anyway? Now he needs a vacation. The only thing is, who in the organization decided that the pastors go on vacation? What do you mean? Like, did the pastors decide that? <laughs> <laughs> You know we have to give you a hard time on that. We can't just we, – we have to. We're mandated by our hey, ethos. Hey, worse than that. Oh. I, here's the thing. Worse than that, a lot of people were counting on you for the whitewater rafting. They were going to ride you down. There's like eight or nine people that didn't get to go whitewater rafting, right? Yeah, you're the raft. <laughs> no, at least at least you throw off the balance of the raft, like the positioning of where you have to have Joey sit. It has to be like in the in the middle – well, a little bit to the back, dead center is the only way that that works. He can't sit on the front edge or anything, you know. No flippage there. Right, right, right. Hey, I'll tell you what's funny is I can't, I can't escape, um, I can't escape this podcast. Even to a lot of these pastors that probably aren't fully on board with what we do. I had, uh, I had probably our, or definitely. Uh, some of them definitely, <laughs> but you know, you know, our lead pastor, he he uh, he gets it. Um, he doesn't agree with everything we say or do, but he actually asked me last night. He said, hey, how'd all that uh, fat Joey stuff get started anyway? And he said, because and he didn't know how to say it. He's like, because Toby uh, is, is <laughs> the bigger <laughs> one. 
<laughs> and I was just like, well, you know, it just, it was a pretty random beginning and the thing just took off, man. The thing just took off. But I, I'm going to say that that, like everything you bring on yourself, because here's the actual deal. And that is Toby only makes weight jokes about everybody universally casually it's just something that he always does and he's always been able to get away with because he's the larger person so it's right. a common thing that he uses and then early on doing it to you it kind of stuck he make fun of my weight all the time it's the same thing but it doesn't it you know what i mean it, it sticks a yeah, little I'm bit worried. more to you because you're a little bit resistant and don't roll along with it so you bring it on yourself no i roll along with the fat jokes that's bullcrap yeah right i know there. you're yeah. good about he's that. full of rolls uh but he, here's uh yeah, you roll <laughs> I am I am concerned about Toby though. I do think that there is still some built up aggression and insecurity from his elementary, middle school obese days, and I don't think it's resolved. I think that's part of the reason why there's so much of a irrational um, deflection on other people being fat. Well, thank you, Pastor Freud. I actually really appreciate that. My biggest issue right now, I think I think you're right about a lot of that. My biggest issue right now is I have the shittiest boss in the whole world, yeah, and I don't know how problems. to deal with it. My boss is terrible. <laughs> really? Are you talking about your bad your, your bad Christian Emory boss? You talking about Matt? Yeah, that's me. No, no, no. no. <laughs> that's a good boss. I'm I'm, I'm an owner. <laughs> that's how he that's how he knows. I'm, by I'm, contrast. I'm full owner on this one, but my boss at my other job, he is just. I mean, he won't. He he is constantly vacationing. Constantly texting me and emailing me about my job and stuff like that. It's just unbelievable. So, yeah, I would love to get that off my chest. All right, Joey, Thank we're going to have Shane Claiborne on here. Sorry that you won't miss it. We do hope you make your your raft downriver and everything. We're going to talk to him about uh, capital punishment, the prison, institutional prisons, and, you know, all the all that incarceration and criminalization of drugs, all kind of stuff like that. Is there anything that you want us to ask him uh, in all seriousness or tell him or talk about since you're going to miss this one? Well, first of all, I love you guys, but I'm concerned about you because I don't know how this interview is going to go off without me. Mm-hmm, Second of all, I do want you to uh, I do want you to bring up Romans 13 and get his take on that. I don't think that's a home run for capital punishments justification, but I do think you have to deal with it when Paul basically says, you know, evildoers have something to worry about because God has his agents of wrath. They don't bear the sword in vain. So there does seem to be some sort of a delegated authority on earth for people to have to suffer consequences for their actions. Again, I don't think okay. that's a, a perfect. Uh, so are you guys going to yep, noted? I like that that's question. A good point. Hey, well, uh, I got to go. Um, got a lot of stuff <laughs> to do. All right. Thank you, Joey. We appreciate it. Joey Spence and everybody. The Svensson. Our worst call-in guest so far. <laughs> I mean, there's nowhere to go from this. I kind of just want to end. Yep. Uh, it just has been, a, that kind of like depressed me. And I feel like down now. Yes, I know. It's difficult. It is difficult to move on from such a downer, asshole person. <laughs> I mean, just intentionally asshole. <laughs> okay, well, let's get see if we can get Shane on the on the. Uh, Let's see if we can get Shane on, on our podcast on yep. this podcast, and we'll we'll move on and do the whole rest of the episode. Sound good to you? Yes, All right, I love it. All right, let's see if we can get Shane here. Here we go. All right, Shane, are you there? Can you hear me? Hey, I think I got you, man. Right on. Right. 
<laughs> we we have Shane Claiborne on the show today, and we're really thankful for it because we're Shane. We're replacing Joey, our normal co-host, and uh, we think you've won favor. You've been on our show before, and you're you you know a lot more than he does. You're skinnier than he is, and you have a better Southern accent than he does, even though he's from South Carolina. So hey, you fit in the show better. I'm going to take that promotion, and I'll take half the m- amount of money you paid him anyway. <laughs> I would love to pay you half the amount we paid him. That's a great deal. <laughs> That's an amazing deal. <laughs> so we, we're going to actually have you just be a co-host, so you can do whatever. Feel free to speak or whatever about anything you want to. We're not going to treat it as much of an interview. We just want to hang out with you because it's a good. T- it's always a good time. Does that sound good? Wow. You, you ain't even going to censor me. I don't even get edited out. Nope, anything. No editing. Zero editing. Amen. All right. I'm ready. Let's roll. <laughs> All right. So we, we just said hey to Joe. He's out whitewater rafting. So we wish him well. And hopefully, he, hopefully he's safe and everything else out there. So, Toby, how's it been going with you It's lately? been going good. I, I was going to ask Shane about Joey, too. Shane, now, what is your, your church life like? like? What is your congregation and what, where do you, do you attend church? Or what, what is your like, affiliation with a church? Well, yeah, from the beginning here, we started this this community in Philly 20 years ago. And from the start, we said, we're not just, we're not a church plant. We're not trying to start a new worship service or congregation. We, we're, start, we're building a little community and we want to be a part of the local congregations in our neighborhood. So um, that's how we rolled from the beginning. And part of that is we got like Pentecostals and Catholics and Quakers and Mennonites and Baptists and Episcopal, you know, so we got everything. So we just joined the local congregations in the neighborhood. Katie and I like to go to mass. Uh, so we go to the Catholic, uh, uh, parish around the corner on Sunday yeah. mornings. But then there's a little bit more of a, uh, there's, there's a, another congregation that's a little bit more charismatic, and I like to go there at night, so I sort of get the best of everything, you know? That sounds like you're an accountability dodger there, Shane. <laughs> you don't want to be under authority anywhere is, is the accusation you must get for that behavior. Or, Well, I'd like to think of it as I'm building unity within the body, brother. <laughs> well, what do you think about that? What I mean, if somebody says, yeah, but you're supposed to be under authority, so how can you do that if you're going to a bunch of different places? Well, I think actually being a part of neighborhood congregations is a way that we submit to the local pastors in the neighborhood. So for me as a relocator, uh, that's really important because I, I, we're not coming to try to do something brand new, but we want to uh, be a part of what God's already doing here and be a you know part of the fabric of the neighborhood. So I'm uh, I'm thankful for all the pastors that are here. Almost every block's got a church on it, so I don't know why we'd start a new one. That's mm-hmm. that's we've been yeah so that maybe the topic there is uh, as it would pertain to a systematic theology might be a church membership toby what are your thoughts on church membership well first of all i think it's hilarious that he goes to the structured catholic mass in the morning but those charismatics boy they get wild at night don't yeah. they <laughs> <laughs> i grew up in a very charismatic church like the most care i mean it was just it, it's funny too like i've always wondered this they get wilder uh, at sorry. nighttime they have a night and a day service well that's it that yeah because i mean i grew up in a extremely charismatic church and, and it, sunday mornings were a lot but we you know back then we had sunday night service and wednesday night service you know what i mean and those were on fire i mean those you know those those lit you up and i always wondered that too like the combination of extremely charismatic slain in the spirit running across the, the pews yeah uh, speaking in tongues all this crazy stuff also i always thought that was the strangest thing that that was so tied with legalism as well like the church i grew up in was huh. i mean they would sing shout yell holler run 
uh, speaking every possible thing you could do within the spirit. And then at the same time, legalism was unbelievable, like so conservative with the outside world. You know what I mean? I always thought that was a really interesting thing uh, for sure. So I don't know if those things, two things are tied together or is that like a uh, somewhat of a guilt thing? Like you express it, you act crazy in I church. I was repressed and, and so it comes yeah, out yeah, is, is in that, the safe Is that place. what that is? Like I've always wondered that because growing up in, within that, like my papa was a pastor. I, I mean, I believe these people sincerely believed in Jesus. I believe they sincerely, you know, sought the Lord for their life and, and, and all those things. But at the same time, it was really interesting because a lot of their theology was based on you got to do the right thing or you're going to hell. Well, so why are those two ever, things so tied together? You get that together? everywhere, though. You get that in the Catholic Church, too. There's a, some – I think, you know, anywhere self-righteousness and uh, some of the purity stuff has a face, you know, almost everywhere. But um, it's, it's incredible, though, because I think there, there are fusions of that. There's a, there was a powerful renewal in the Catholic Church of a charismatic Catholic renewal. And you look at even some of the, like, early Methodist stuff, and it got pretty Pentecostal. So I, I like to think like God's doing different things in these different denominations. So part of what we can do is pull the best out of them and seek the kind of unity that God wants to do. And, you know, Jesus's prayer, his longest prayer is that the church would be one as God's one. So that's what we're shooting for. Well, is there a type of church, Shane, that you don't, that you don't like, that you just, I don't like being in those. This doesn't, that's no good for me. Well, the the problem is i think if we found the perfect church we'd mess it up as soon as we got there you know and and uh so it's they're made up of people but i tell you what i went to a congregation the other day that uh the 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 bouncers i mean the the greeters and the elders they had <laughs> these uh t-shirts on that said no perfect people allowed uh, I like that. I think that more congregations need elders that wear, you know, shirts that say no perfect people allowed. And uh, and, and that, that's the kind of church that folks want to be a part of, I think, is, is not one that's perfect, but one that's honest and where people can come as they are and feel loved and accepted and, you know, fall in love with a, a perfect God as imperfect people as we are. Well, Shane, I had this trouble with you last time you were on the show, and that's that I couldn't get you to say anything negative about anybody or anything. I'm going to crack you this time. You got to tell us a church, a kind of church you don't like. You make it's funny. I, it's, I feel like Joe Osteen. He's a happy preacher. You know? <laughs> uh, but you, I'll, I'll get, I'll get, I'll get down with you right now. I, you know, Jesus's harshest words, uh, like "brood of vipers," mm -hmm. were, were really reserved for the self-righteous religious folks. You know that that that's the folks that Jesus really was. Uh, had his harshest language for. So I think we always got to be careful if we find ourselves uh, heaping heavy burdens on people, as Jesus said. You know, this is a gospel that's good news and it's liberating. And if it feels uh, different from the good news of Jesus, you know, I, I think it's not the gospel. And sometimes so, you get it, you go to a, somewhere on a Sunday and you find like, ooh, that's, this is that environment. This is, this is gross. This is yucky. That happens sometimes, right? <laughs> Yeah, a tree is known by its fruit, and uh, and so yeah, if we don't feel the fruits of the spirit—kindness, gentleness, patience, love—you know, then uh, I think we got to you know test the spirits, as the Bible says, and and uh, so you know. But I I think that the best critique of what's wrong is the practice of something better. 
And so if we really want to try to change the church, we can start with ourselves and we can restore the church. Because, I mean, every every congregation's got its goofiness, you know, and I'm not trying to write it off because I think it's horrific and and just uh, it must break God's heart that a lot of Christians have become known for the very things that Jesus spoke out against, you yep. know. Oh, definitely. I'd like to talk about that, too. But do y'all think it's okay to not be a member of a specific local church? I, I do at this point. I think having worked at churches uh, before, I thought that when I worked at Mars Hill, I thought they had a really compelling answer. And I actually kind of believe this still to a point um, that if you're a member of a church, that means you you feel more ownership of it and, and a more responsibility to help the things that we're talking about. Like if there's something wrong, you have more ownership of it to say, hey, maybe we should change this or we, you know, maybe we should do this or that blah, blah, blah. But, um, I, so I kind of see that, but at the same time, I really do. I was talking about this with somebody, uh, last night. I really feel that this, that our generation and then the next really is wary of proprietary things. So when you say member, it's almost like a, Oh, I'm, I have to be, I have to be a member. Like I can't get out. What are you saying? Like, where's the weight? Is it, is it the gospel? Is it Jesus? Is it community? All this stuff. But you're saying I have to be a member like I don't get out and then all of a sudden I have to submit to you no matter what. I think people are really weary or wary of that. So I wonder, like, is it kind of backfiring? Is membership backfiring at this point? Because the truth is, if you really do care about your church, then you would do all those things without some sheet of paper or your name recognition in it, right? Yeah, I'm going to say this. The early Christians, they were really, uh, they were, they, they were really passionate that we can't, uh, we can't have Jesus without the church. You, 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 they said, you know, we can't have God as our father without having the church as our mother. But I think that there was a deep understanding that that doesn't mean that the church is perfect. You know, we got mm-hmm. sort of dysfunctional parent, and so we try to love her the best we can. Uh, but there was a sense that um, we can't be uh, Christian without the church. It's kind of like saying, you know, can, can I have a child out of wedlock? You know, I think we can we, we, we can try to follow Jesus, but uh, we're going to be healthiest when we do it in covenant. And mm-hmm. I, I agree with you that we've, we've kind of gotten the whole membership thing out of whack. But what but the idea of covenant and of being accountable to a group of folks and helping each other get better. It's sort of like uh, uh, I, I, a lot of times I say being a part of a congregation or a community is about surrounding ourselves with people who look like the person we want to become. Yeah. You know, so it's like coals of a fire. The way you put a fire out is by spreading them out, you know, and uh, when you pull the coals together uh, like we do when we worship, that it, it kind of keeps the fire alive. So I, I think that's uh, – and the early Christians, you know, they, one of them said, uh, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. Yeah. Uh, so there was a real sense that we've got to do our best to try to create the – healthiest church and this is the bride of christ so to think that we're uh as one, one of the pastors in my neighborhood said jesus isn't coming back for a harem he's coming back for a bride so we got to be a part of building the unity in the body of jesus yeah so i mean the way you describe the church there shane you know obviously the church in the words of shane claiborne is a, a drunk alcoholic mother stumble around in a nightgown That's looking to get paid for sex <laughs> <laughs> With, with a few illegitimate. I love it. Children. I want to go to that church. Yeah, I like that one. It's why you got to bless her heart. You got to say that sometimes. Bless her ever loving heart. 
That is the Southern way of being like just sarcastic mean. I've heard so many Southern women say just the worst thing and then end it with, bless her heart. (laughs) She's a terrible, ugly woman. Bless her heart. You know, she cheated. She did it, but bless her heart. I've heard that a million times. One thing that uh, going along on this topic, uh, Craig Gross from Triple X Church, he's actually kind of vacationing and doing some speaking right now. And he stopped by our our house and Joey and I hung out with him two nights ago. It was really fun, but uh, he said something that kind of just caught me off guard. Like I said, I was, I was really thinking through church and what could be different and what is, like, what is the future looking for? And our kids were all running around, and Craig right now has like a, I guess an eight-year-old and a, I believe six or seven-year-old, I guess six-year-old um, kids, and um, he was talking about just like his son wanting a, a phone and, and that all his friends have phones, but all they do is text, and that's it. And he had this idea, or it just almost like an off off the cuff comment of just, what if our kids don't even see community like we do, and they hang out in a completely different way that maybe hasn't even been That's created yet, or it's virtual, or whatever that looks like? And and so I'm wondering if Does I'm thinking mean- about the next step of uh, the next stage of church and what that looks like. And, and when I look at history and and how church has changed throughout all these years since Jesus's time, at least and you can go back before that, but at least since Jesus's time. Like, are we thinking of things wrong? Like, like the way people interact and connect, and like what we consider fellowship, even could be could be right. outdated or outdatable at least. Right, but, and and here's why: is it like for me when I like I've been worried to not worried, but I guess thought about at least somebody pursuing one of my daughters one day when they're old enough. They're only five and two right now, but like when they're say you know fifteen twenty years from now. Are they are, are are there young men out there that are even going to have the skills to pursue my daughter? Like, I mean, are they in the only way that text? you're used to? Probably not. In the right. way that are you they expect? only going to text no. or vi- like is everything going to be have to be seconds rather than minutes or time talking? And that fear is that just mean I'm old and I don't get it? You know yeah, what I mean? Like I would the same way yes. as my parents. Like my my dad can't understand Twitter. He he cannot understand the concept of why you would write something in 140 characters. Like when I think about the bad things about church, is that already outdated and, and going to be gone either way? Hmm. Well, I think basically... Did I leave y'all speechless? No, I was just giving Shane a chance, but I'm going to jump right back in. So the, it to me, you're saying that... Uh, <laughs> the, you, you're saying like if, if kids, when you see them text, you think, yeah, but that's not... I mean, like, you know, to me or, or even to my mom, texting is, is a little bit frustrating. Like we do, I use it a lot, but I still really want to get somebody on the phone to communicate with them. But if you take a, a person even five years younger than me and below, they do not have that urge. They actually prefer email or text to do the communication. They actually prefer that and don't, don't see it as a limitation, whereas I feel limited when I'm doing it. And so that has a huge impact on just what, uh, you know, what community and fellowship mean. Like fellowship used to mean one thing, and now that is actually genuine and full-on communication for that age. And that's just now, so not to mention the future. So maybe yes. that outdates physical buildings or, or, you know, maybe think, you know, all that kind of stuff is, is up for grabs, really. Well, here's I, I think that, that, that there, there's some things that are eternal and, and uh, don't change. Uh, like the fact that we're made in the image of God and God reflects community to us. When the first human being was made, it's not pronounced real good until they're together helping each other. You know, it's not good for one to be alone. And Jesus says, where two or three of you gather, I'm with you. There's this 
communal longing inside of all of us that we can see in God, this plurality of oneness, you know. And so I think uh, the hunger to love and be loved for community is uh, it's in us and it's in the world. Now, I think that the forms that community takes are are different, but uh, uh, some of the technology can build that. You know, I think we can build real community. We've been doing Skype calls with kids in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's amazing what some of this stuff can do, but you can also hide behind it. You know, you can uh, uh, it can tear down community. You can be passive aggressive on Facebook. You can be totally anonymous. You know, to uh, whoever you want. All that stuff's true, but you know, I, I think uh, sometimes we got to see things like Twitter, kind of like hammers. You can use them to build something beautiful or to tear stuff down. And you know, I think I think uh, it's part of why my wife and I we don't have a TV and stuff because we said. That really wasn't building community or contributing very positively mm-hmm. to us, and it was sucking the life out of us. So we got rid of our TV, you know. And uh, I think we can figure out, you know, what, what. Sometimes, if all we have is virtual friends, we're going to be pretty lonely, you know. If you only eat virtual food, you're going to get hungry at some point. Well, how does that how does that work out to what we're doing right now? There's three of us. We're in three different locations. Um, we're using technology and we're interacting verbally. Now it's digital, however. So what what does that what does that make to you? Is that is that a technology enabled real community that we're having here, or is this a substitute for the real thing? Well, I think we're doing something meaningful. It might be like sometimes I have instant breakfast. You know, it's that powder you put in milk, Mm -hmm. stir it up, and you get some nutrients, but you still probably need to eat. You know what I'm saying? And so this false is this is this better? The nut, you know, gives us some vitamins like mm-hmm. a instant breakfast. But like we need real community, though. We need real people in our lives. So like I, at the end of the day, my my hope is not just to have some kind of virtual church replace being with real people and eating food together. Like Jesus does real basic stuff like eat dinner with the wrong people. And I think that's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Now, Toby, are you thinking far enough in the future that would throw that off if, for instance, if we were all literally digital consciousness or hooked up to a machine and interacting virtually primarily? Would that, does that uh, matter? Is that something you're thinking well, that far? Because that okay, could be here's what, less than generations. Like, I, I, well, I was listening to this podcast, and, and Matt, I've talked to you about this, but um, like they, they said they did not, when they were thinking about Siri for the, for the iPhone, they did not have the technology to make it happen, but they started years ago working on that and then it, it came to fruition. The technology reached where they could do that. They so they worked on the presentation re- and how it would work, right? And right. The so, design and, of it and like I, the technology. Yeah. And so basically, the idea of right now technology, basically, somebody can go. I'm going to create a science fiction idea, and then eventually, technology will catch up to that, and it'll be ready to go. Like 3D and printing I'll be able to was that. This. 3D printing, we can start working on practical right, things exactly. that it could do. But we don't have it. We can't 3D print with raw materials and make metal, blah, 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 and send, right. the, send the license to Africa to build a well out of a 3D printer. But we will, so we can start designing that now. Totally. So, I mean, there, there are people right now thinking about different ways of using energy to, you know, be a, as a resource for our homes and stuff that doesn't re- rely on, like, you know, fossil fuels or whatever or, you know, battery power or whatever. People are thinking all these things. And so my thoughts are if I'm here for this amount of time, should I not be somewhat thinking outside the box of just Sunday morning and that's what it is? Like, I mean, I know people have done that forever, but like, even for example, I remember my dad telling me, and my dad, you know, my dad is 63 years old. And I remember him telling me when he grew up, his, his father is a pastor and church was everything. 
There, that, that's how you found out all the gossip. That's how you, everybody met and hung out, hung out. That's how you had fellowship. That's how you found out if somebody died or somebody went to the hospital. Everything revolved around the church. Now, you don't need that anymore, and it, church has become less. Now, church has become a thing where it's about a pastor teaching you something, right? And so, I wonder if, if technology has, has changed that much just for how we interact with information, even with each other and within fellowship, then it's going to affect that, obviously, even more in the future. And I, I just want to be on top of that, thinking about, like, my kids. Like, will, will my kids go, hey, yeah, I'm going to go somewhere and listen to a 45-minute sermon? I mean, seriously. Like they, I, mean, I mean, right now, you can listen to something. Uh, you, could, you can sit there right now and hear a pastor speak and then Google what he just said and say, is that true or false, and find out an answer. that You know, you know what I mean? Like, you can do all that stuff right now, and we're so integrated already with technology that we're going to only become more. So what does that look like for the future and Jesus? Like, I, that, that's a real thought and concern that I think we might should be thinking about. At least somebody should be, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, some of it, too, uh, as I'm hearing that, I'm thinking of my Catholic brothers and sisters are going, we don't know what you're talking about, because part of what is uh, wonderful is is uh, the Catholics don't go to the worship just to hear a sermon. They certainly don't hear a 45-minute one. You know, you hear there's uh, it's more about the mystical communal experience of coming together and the center of it is the Eucharist, you know, the Lord's Supper right. and this idea that has actually, it doesn't get any more beautiful I think than than this this tradition that's pulled us together and it hadn't changed much in uh, 2000 years, you know, but totally. it's that idea that we're eating and drinking the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that uh, uh, we are what we eat, so we're becoming a body together and uh, there's some incredible books like uh, Torture in the Eucharist by Bill Cavanaugh and stuff that show um, that, that that's the stuff that's really uh, at the heart of what we're doing. Now, I think some of the other things like the, 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 the drums and uh, some of these songs that we sing nowadays and the sermons and the televangelists, that stuff may fade away. But I think this this. Uh, church that's been the primary instrument that God's using to bring in the kingdom of God is, uh, is, is what we're talking about, you know, and I think that's, um, that's where we see the sacraments like, uh, uh, things like marriage and baptism and those things. We can't ever stop doing that stuff. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, do you think like, I, that's one thing that I've thought about is our people, do you think, I, I've been thinking about this for a while and heard some other people do you think that people are going to want to go back to that mainline or, or Catholic tradition like because it's lasted so long that there's some actual trust you can have in it? Like, like you said, there's some things that haven't changed in all these years, so maybe that's more trustworthy. Is that an appeal to you to go to Catholic church? Hey, that's a good question. That might be a different podcast, but I'm going to say <laughs> I, I, my, buddy, uh, my buddy Chris Haw, uh, at, he and I wrote Jesus for president together, but he grew up at Willow Creek and he ended up becoming Catholic. He wrote a book uh, called from Willow Creek to, to sacred heart. And it's why he became Catholic. But that's exactly what he would suggest. And one of the things he said is he kind of thought as he was a part of Willow Creek and some of the emerging church and stuff, he said it was kind of wild and fun. Like you're on a kayak, you know, and you're whipping right. down the, the white water like our bro is today, you know, but, uh, he said, I came to find out that it's actually not a kayak, but it's more like a rowboat. 
And you've got to look backwards in order to row forwards. And that's deep. I think that's that's exactly the kind of thing that we need is uh, in order to. It, it's interesting that that uh, the future of the church might depend on remembering our past and looking back. So I, I really believe that that's possible. I think that's part of why people are drawn, at least in the last decade, were drawn to some of the uh, uh kind of neo-fundamentalist stuff you know like mark driscoll and and things like that was they wanted some they don't want this fluffy stuff you can't put on the wall they want something you can nail down Mm -hmm. and i don't think that's actually doctrine i think that's actually uh getting rooted in a very ancient tradition that still needs new life pumped into it you know and that's why we did a book called common prayer and things but we're trying to build on 2,000 years of church history, even as we keep going forward, like in that rowboat. Well, I'm going to suggest one little alternate there, and that's the resurgence to, you know, mainline and Catholicism and those things. Tradition in itself is not my favorite thing. I'm not disrespecting those things entirely. I'm just saying I think those things are, you know, somewhat of man-made institutions that degrade over time in some degree. Not, not the core uh, of what I'm they are. Call, I'm going to call hang bullshit on, on hang that. On, hang I on. I got to call bullshit on I that. I don't know of any institution that doesn't get worse over time. What's, okay, your, what's here, your problem? Here's the thing. I believe fully, knowing you, that you love tradition, especially if you were to say Clemson University football and the tradition of Howard's Rock and the tradition of singing songs and all those things. You actually really respond to that, and you like that. And I bet if you ever go see some old streets or in Washington, D.C. or yep. Charleston, South Carolina, where I live or anything, you value that there's something that has lasted the test of time. Yes. So I, yes. I think that you see the negativity of it because you feel like it's an institution as opposed to the actual gospel being spoken. Yes. But I, well, I'm not knocking the, the, the things themselves. I'm just saying I, I would say that any institution and man-made thing over time does, the man-made elements of it do degrade, and, and it does get worse for the most part in a general way. I like old things and antique things and stuff. I, I think that I would have to say that Something that could be created. For for example, how about Jesus and just what people think about him now? Like, think about the the amount of flowering, if you will. That's a terrible word to use, but how Jesus has, has grown and become more and more and more, and the story of his name and everything has grown more. So I, all I think is— I'm only when, saying when I, the what, Presbyterian councils and councils upon councils and how they work and the bureaucracy and the politics. That's what I'm talking—that's the only thing I'm talking about when I say institutions no, over time. No, I agree time. with you. I, just, I like agree the, with you. just like any government, yeah. just like any anything like that, it, it has no—it it can't— I mean, it's just a, a flaw in, in human operation and power and structure. Right. That's all I'm saying. I guess, I guess for me, what I'm thinking is, though, just the idea of some of the new uh, you know, unaffiliated churches, non-denominational churches, they don't have anything to stand on. It's basically a—this sure. sounds so terrible, but a lot of it is based on the personality of the, of the pastor. And so oh, when definitely. that pastor dies, we really haven't seen—like, for example, remove Mark Driscoll from Mars Hill. Mars Hill doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so there, there's not even a tradition at Mars Hill like, hey, we do this, this, and this. That that did not stand against the personality of the yep. pastor yep. leaving. So, so the other thing is though, Catholicism, you know, the Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, whatever, all that stuff has stood for a while. So you can trust that that church isn't going anywhere, regardless of the person behind in the pulpit. That seems appealing. That seems sure. trustworthy. No, yeah, it definitely has something to, to offer extent. right now in the current climate. I right, I do, I do agree. 
I, I studied sociology, and every sociologist is going to tell you that uh, the strongest uh, communities uh, and societies thrive uh, off of ritual. You know that you have to have r- rituals mm-hmm. pull us together, and I think there's something holy about that. I think Jesus did things like uh, Passover and Sabbath and those things which the church has brought to society. I mean, these are incredible things. Uh, and so I think there's something to the ritual and I'm not just talking about Sunday services. I'm talking about having things like Easter and, uh, and Christmas and times throughout the year that we're orienting our life around what God's doing in the world, that those are, those are holy things. And, uh, without those are the fabric of our society starts to unravel a little bit. And, you know, I think there's national liturgies too. Like we got, you know, uh, election year and the inauguration of a president and all that stuff. And that's, I think that's the kind of, um, uh, counterfeit splendor of Babylon, but I think that, that the, the things that the church brings is this genuine community that we, we've got to be, you know, uh, anchoring ourselves in some of those things, or we are like the seed that Jesus says falls to the ground, it sprouts up, but it doesn't have any roots, so it just dies. So I think I think Christians, we got to have our roots deep in the church so that we can uh, last, you mm-hmm. know, when the, when the storms come. Yeah, interesting stuff for sure. Let's, uh, let's take a break here, Shane and Toby. And then we'll come okay. back and we'll, we'll talk about an, an even better institution than the church, and that's be the criminal justice uh, prison industrial <laughs> system. How about that? Does that, does that yeah, work? Let's do it. <laughs> they, they have a lot in common. <laughs> What's the most important number in your life? It's not your age, and it's not your IQ. It has a huge impact on your finances, what you might pay for credit card interest, home and auto loans, and student debt. It's your credit score, and it's crucial to know what that score is, and here's the part I like, how it works. The problem is some people get stuck paying for their credit score. Don't pay for your credit score with Credit Karma. You can see your credit score right now absolutely free. Just text Bad Christian to 89800 to download the free Credit Karma app and get started. Now, I did this the other day. I just went on there. I texted Bad Christian to 89800. I downloaded the app and logged in there, and it was amazing how much information it gave me about my credit score and the reports on it and how it works. Uh, There's a lot of useful information there, and your credit score really is important. And it gives you a lot. There's a lot of tools and resources and articles. Uh, This company is very cool. They provide this free. It's a very pro-consumer uh, company, Credit Karma. And I mean, there, really, there's no catch. They never ask me for my credit card number. Everything on their site is free. So, I mean, it, there's so much useful information on there. I went down, you know, a rabbit hole just reading a bunch of articles about credit and looking at all the details about my credit and my financials. And you know, financial life is important. It's a very big part of everybody's life. And the credit score and how that works is a big part of that. So you owe it to yourself to be educated on it. Here's a great free way to do it. So I'm going to tell you again, don't let today in without seeing your score. Thanks to Credit Karma, you get it for free. Text Bad Christian to 89800 to download the free app so you can see what may be the most important number in your life. Okay, I got something really exciting to tell you about, and that's my new favorite band. Uh, This is our musical sponsor for today. This band is called Money Pit, and I'm not exaggerating when I say they're my new favorite band. I love it. I have a personal connection to it. This is Nick Newsham and Bobby Darling from the band Gatsby's American Dream, who we toured with, who was a Seattle local band with Emery. 
back in 2001 and 2, we used to play shows together. And this is their new thing. I've been a fan of these guys for literally 13, 14 years. And I'm so happy they're making music together. I love it. You've probably seen Gatsby's American Dream. You remember that. This is called Money Pit. So moneypitmusic.com is the website. This song is called Control Everything. It's on their new album. It's available for pre-order right now. Go to moneypitmusic.com. You can pre-order this album. You can listen to some songs. You can see their new video. It's tremendous. I'm giving you a very, very personal recommendation on this one. And so listen to the rest of this track. It's called Control Everything. And then go pick it up. MoneyPitMusic.com. Go to MoneyPitMusic.com right now, and please do me, do yourself a favor, and pre-order this album. It'll be out very soon. And we're back. We've been talking about church. Now let's talk about prison. All right. Well, so, I mean, not just prison or anything. I think, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to Shane a little bit before, and he's doing some stuff. He even has a book coming out in the future that addresses some of these things. Maybe we'll mention or talk about it. But it brings up uh, some really interesting stuff, and that's death penalty. I think the Pope spoke recently or something on it, and Shane told me there's a few more things going on. He knows some information about that, and that's one of those fun things to debate. Yeah, pr- prison and the death penalty. Also, Shane, why do you care about convicts, man? Well, uh, why do I care? Yeah, it's it's a peculiar thing that Jesus says at the very kickoff of his ministry, that he came to set the captives free. And I think, you know, as we look at uh, the health of a society, we can look at the prisons. uh, uh, And the the, the U.S., we got to start out, I think, with a few facts. And the U.S. has 5% of the world's population, Mm -hmm. but we have 25% of the world's prisoners. So we got a quarter of the, well, you got the biggest, most massive prison buildup in the history of the world. And, um, it costs $69 billion a year. Uh, it costs four times more to keep someone in prison than it does to send them to to school. And there are more African Americans in prison or parole than there were slaves in 18. Oh my gosh. Good Lord. I didn't know that one. That was a good one. One in every 15 black men is behind bars. And uh, and there's all kinds of ramifications that that has. You know, that uh, one in 13 African-Americans can't vote because of uh, 
their criminal record and other things, you oh, know, so wow. you look at that. So that that's why it matters. And there's some great books like uh, Michelle Alexander's New Jim Crow and Slavery by Another Name. And what I think many are saying, and I would I would agree, is that we didn't abolish slavery. It just evolved. Yikes. And we, we, wow. see, we see a massive residue of what the legacy of slavery and racism has left us. And I think that's why we see a movement around the country right, right now. Let me poke at some stuff there and you you answer because I'm I'm probably inclined to to agree with you but let me ask you I mean but you're not saying turn cr- criminals and people loose why would you do, I mean they did crimes that's why they're in jail so I don't whatever color they are I don't know but they're in jail because they did something wrong Well that's an interesting that's an interesting assumption and I think what we see is that uh that white folks are much less likely to be given jail time when they're convicted of the same crimes as mm-hmm. people of color. So now I am saying that, I mean, there's obviously folks that are in prison because they did something wrong, but there's also a lot of people who are in prison because they couldn't afford good lawyers. And, uh, our friend Brian Stevenson, who was, uh, named one of the time magazines, hundred most influential people in the world. And it's been called Americans Mandela. He said, you're better off being rich and guilty in America than poor and innocent. Yeah, that's a powerful statement. But when you look at the system and I mean, I see it every day because I live in uh, a neighborhood where we can see uh, that. But here's what I want to say is that underneath all of it is a fundamental problem that many of the crimes that we're looking at have a dimension of economics alongside of it. So many of the folks in prison are there because of being involved in the drug economy or other things that have an economic, they're economic crimes. So I think rather than swatting at mosquitoes, we got to do something about the pond. And the fact is that uh, we, we, we have a lot of folks that would love meaningful work if they had access to it and opportunity. Yeah, sure. So, so as it pertains to drugs, I mean, would you, would you, are you of the mindset of we should end the war on drugs and release the low-level drug offenders? So that's, that's like a black guy in Philadelphia who had some weed on him and no lawyer, and now he's locked up, and now he's in doing a big, big-time prison thing. And then meanwhile, he, he has kids that don't have a dad now, even though he'd like to be there. He just simply had some weed, which would never, first of all, it would never hang up a uh, prep school kid in Massachusetts, for one thing. But at the same time, uh, it's not even really a bad thing. It's not even a big deal. It's just that we've declared the war on drugs. So, or maybe I don't know. What do you think about the war on drugs and all that? Well, sure. So, I think the what what we've seen is that we have uh, done. We've kind of uh, dodged the the problem, which is if you look at the neighborhoods that have drug economies. If you look back 50 years ago, they often had factories. You know, in in our neighborhood, we have 700 abandoned factories and we had jobs everywhere. People wanted to move here because there was opportunity and there was jobs. And those factories, we had 150,000 jobs uh, leave our neighborhood. And now one of the largest sources of income is the underground economy of drugs. So I think we've got to figure out ways that people can take care of their families. And if I'm going to tell kids, you know, not to deal drugs, then I've got to find another opportunity opportunity for them. Um, but that comes, you know, and, and I think part of that is funding stuff that works when it costs four more time, four times more to put someone in prison than to send them to school. Let's, let's do better. You know, there, there's a, it's not a coincidence yeah. that as, as all the schools are going bankrupt in Philly, we're building a multi-million dollar prison and, and folks are looking into the schools to see the dropout rate, uh, as an indicator of what, 
the, how many prison cells they need. So we, we we're kind of uh, not looking at the source. And some of the some of the most effective programs are the least funded. Like over and over, you see that someone who just takes any class in jail, uh, it ends up changing the course of their life. Uh, in, but those are some of the programs that are the least funded. You know, so I, I think there's a lot of stuff we can do. Uh, but part of that is having a new vision of justice. But how about just the basic question of ending the drug war, releasing low-level drug offenders, and, and even legalizing a lot of drugs? Is that you like that idea or don't? Well, I, I don't think that you can legislate uh, this. I think that part of what we've got to do is, is to love our neighbor as ourselves means we've got to figure out what's holding people captive. And in and, and a lot of places like the neighborhood I live in, economics is holding people hostage. So we've got to figure out how to uh, do it in a very holistic way. But, yeah, I think we can find better forms of justice than locking someone up in a jail for multiple years. Uh, we can find forms of restorative justice. And there's beautiful stories of that, you know, of folks that have been found guilty. And then the communities come together to see how they can repair the harm that they've done rather than just locking them up in a jail. Do you have some folks that you know that have been through that? Oh, yeah, tons of them. And, and there's like uh, so many great examples of that. I mean, there's folks that have been caught doing graffiti in Philadelphia that instead of going to jail, they've become a part of the anti-graffiti network and they use those gifts to paint murals and make our city beautiful, you know, and um, there's and then create jobs. You know, there's there's a lot of folks that have uh, come through prisons that have ended up starting um some really great, uh, uh, innovative businesses and stuff. So I've got friends in my neighborhood that do that. I got off the phone earlier today with a guy that spent a lot of his life in prison and, uh, now he's at Princeton and he's, uh, he's going to be an incredible leader, I think. Uh, So I I think, you know, we, we lose a lot of opportunities if we don't see that people are better than some of the things they've done. Do you think it's the case though, that we need to look at the profit motives with the prisons and stuff like that and, and root that out? Is that like, cause I mean, that's what you're saying. Is that what you're getting at when you say that the schools are underfunded, but the prison is funded? What's the reason for that? Oh, it's a massive, yeah, it's a massive. Like who's, I'm, what I'm saying is, and I know you don't like to say negative stuff, help us point out the bad guys. Is that not a good way to do this? Are you trying oh, to avoid sure, that yeah. here? Who's the bad guys? Do that. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, there's a movie uh, where the filmmaker says, I got an idea. We'll close down all the factories. People inevitably turn to, you know, the drug economy or some crime and we'll lock them up and then we'll uh, put them in jail and hire them to do the jobs that they already know how to do. Only now we don't have to pay them a living wage. Mm-hmm. And the the Constitution, the, the, the 13th Amendment, which about was to abolish slavery, says slavery is illegal unless the person's convicted of a crime. Mm-hmm. We actually didn't abolish it. So there are folks in prison that are paid a dollar a day, right? There's folks that are wow. doing work. And, and some of the corporations are predatorial in that. I mean, some of the biggest uh, corporations like Eddie Bauer and uh, AT&T and uh, uh, Victoria's Secret and, and uh, some of these companies have u- are using prison labor because it, it is precisely slave labor. It, it's uh, a new labor force. And there was a lawsuit in our area where uh, prisoners were going to be hired to do postal work, but there was an out- uh, outrage because so many people would have lost their jobs. Uh, and they ended up yeah. winning on a legal glitch, which is that prisoners can't look at addresses on uh, mail. But it doesn't mean that prisoners wouldn't be um, 
contracted out to do sanitation jobs or things like that because yeah. they don't ha- we don't have to pay them a wage and it really is a new form of of slavery uh so i think we've got to be uh calling that out you know I, I think that's it's one of the big major justice issues of of our generation definitely that that's really i'm glad you have all the stats on that because i just ramble and, and guess stuff and say stuff but you have a lot of really actual useful information on that <laughs> Well, the other thing, too, I wanted to say is there's a lot of now privatized prisons mm-hmm. where it's a business, right? And, and yeah. people, like I read an article the other day where they called a judge that was sending low-level drug offenders or whatever it might be, a crime, uh, low-level crime offenders, and uh, sending them to jail so that the the jails could make money. Because oh, yeah, the more definitely. people they have, the more the federal, federal government pays them, right? Yeah, that, those judges, and a lot of times, either have support on some way or even like corrupt right. money that they get for the amount of people they can send to jail kind of thing. Cause there's companies yeah. that build these prisons. I, I'm and they with just you want the on contracts. The, the, the whole drug thing really does bother me no matter what, because I believe just like for, I, I mean, just there's other countries that allow, you know, drugs and what happens to you happens to you. But I, I believe it, that we're losing that war, the drug war, we're losing terribly and is spending so much money and not helping people that could be using that money or whatever. O- only because and I know this is a little bit off topic, but I, but I just hate that because I feel like it's a losing battle. And if you made all, even if you made across the board, all drugs legal, I'm not going to do them. You know what I mean? Like people that want to do drugs will do them either way. If you want to do heroin, you're going to figure out a way to do it. Or, or you, you know can't what I mean? help so, it. Or how about stigmatizing those that are in addiction and need help and not just, you know, don't right. need to well, be yeah. put in jail for it, you know? Yeah, well, it's also that there there's an economic and a race dimension, too. So the war on drugs is targeted young people of color. Uh, but those are not the only folks using drugs. You know, we got CEOs of companies, you know— <laughs> And, and, you know, young black folks are like five times more likely to be arrested for drugs than white, white folks, but their drug use is is around the same. So I think we, you know, we got some, some major work to do. And and I I mean, obviously I'd rather cut off the demand, uh, uh, but, but, you know, like, like I'm, I'm, you're not going to get me in a corner saying we need to legalize all drugs or something, you know, but I think that, uh, that when we've looked at how we're going about it, it's crazy because the drugs all over our neighborhood, like these are not like basement operations, you know. In fact, yeah. we had friends from Latin America coming here that were telling us exactly how the drugs are produced. So, you know, we, we it really is literally a case where we're, you know, swatting at mosquitoes rather than getting at the root of, of what's, uh, you know, causing that. And so, you know, I don't I don't think it's a massive thing. I have friends in the, in the CIA that were uh, – I, I I won't tell you their names, but uh, I said, you know, how, how involved do you think this is? You know, it, where where like does the is it really that difficult to to track these things to their sources? I mean, uh, this is this isn't just somebody in their basement. It's not like meth. I mean, some of these are like we've got you know drugs that are so sophisticated and so carefully packaged that these have got to be massive complexes. But you don't hear those getting raided, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, I just I I pulled some of this stuff up and it said like for example there are fifty thousand arrests for low level pot just marijuana possession a year in New York City, representing one out of every seven cases that turn up in criminal court. So I know Shane, you're not saying this, but I am fully on board. Make every single drug legal. Do not prosecute it. Whatever. If you're gonna do it, 
that's on you. And then I actually was, and this is probably the libertarian side of me, like government stay on my business. If you want to do heroin, do heroin. I'm not going to pay for you to do heroin or to get you out of it. Like, or if you, you know, you need help at some point, then the Christian side of me will say, okay, let's do this rehabilitation. But I don't know. I, I guess for me personally, I feel like this is just a thing to get people in prisons as opposed to the actual facing the actual drug problem. Well, the We're cops get paid. All anyway. those people get paid. The prison systems get yeah. paid. Everybody's getting paid all along the way. So it, it's good for everybody. And, and, and right know. now, uh, like, for example, if you legalize marijuana right now, how much would that help? I'll play devil's advocate on that a little bit because, like, uh, I'm going to tell you who's making money off cigarettes, which are legal right now, is massive tobacco companies. Mm-hmm. And the people that are actually making money off of drugs right now are in the neighborhood and they're people with kids and families I hate that they're doing industries that destroy people's lives, but like, uh, I, I don't think anything's going to be better off if, uh, uh, that, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, tobacco company, uh, you know, is, is marketing heroin or, you know, if there's a major corporation that comes in and that's selling cocaine, like, uh, it's still going to destroy people's lives and families. And right now the, uh, economy is going into, to the neighborhoods and the families here, um, so I hate that economy, uh, but it's one of the only sources of income here, and I don't think it's going to be better if you legalize it and get some corporations involved. That's just That's an interesting point of view. I mean, I, on one hand, I understand you don't necessarily want Philip Morris pushing heroin because they right. might be really effective at it. But on the other hand, Ch- Shane's almost saying something really interesting being that at least the drug economy is economy for the people that he lives around. At least now, if you were going to make it legal, what I'd say is you put a 90% tax on that stuff, so you make it so expensive, yeah. and all of that money would go right into recovery, uh, we might actually see something happen. I think. I mean, I'm all about a cigarette tax, tax the crud out of it, and put everything we can towards uh, uh, community health and wellness and stuff that's better for the soul and the world, you know what I mean? Yeah, poss- I mean, yeah, possibly. That could be a really regressive tax, though, against poor people would still buy it. When I'm saying taxes, I was uh, half joking, but I'm also saying if you're going to tax it, then the money should go into the neighborhood schools getting rebuilt, oh, totally. and the yep. neighborhood yes. health clinics being restored, and things like that. Not towards the building bombs and the militaries, like uh, you know, so much of our da- tax dollars go to right now, but to to heal the source of the problem is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. So the, another one, I am very ambiguous on the death penalty, and I don't. <laughs> I had to say on some level, if somebody is absolutely uh, guilty of a capital crime or even some really heinous crime and, and is beyond re- rehabilitation, if it costs more money to keep them alive or kill them, I mean, I, I don't see, I don't really mind if that person dies. That might make me a terrible person, but it seems reasonable to me that, that we don't need certain people from, from certain crimes around anymore. So what, what is wrong with the death penalty? Well, I'll share a few thoughts. Uh, the, for, for starters, uh, for me as a Christian, first of all, the death penalty is problematic. Uh, beginning of the Bible starts with murder, yeah. but God doesn't ret- like kill the murderers. Like uh, Cain's life is spared. Moses' life is spared. David was a murderer. Uh, Saul of Tarsus was a murderer. So the Bible would be a lot shorter without grace. I just want to say that. I think part of the gospel sure. is that, shorter book. <laughs> that, 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 that God, like God is a God of second chances. God is a God of redemption. And so I think what, what the death penalty raises is a really fundamental question. Is, is any person beyond redemption? 
Um, and, and, you know, we have to wrestle with evil. Um, but, but when it comes to the death penalty, I believe that, that Christians um, should be in the headlines for being the, the, the voices for grace, which is what's so amazing about the Charleston massacre is so many of the families, they wanted grace to get the last word. Mm-hmm. They spoke words of forgiveness, and, and uh, it's beautiful to hear that. So uh, the, 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 the troubling thing is that the, de- the death penalty in America has succeeded not in spite of Christians, but because of us. And if you look at where executions are happening, it's happening predominantly in the Bible Belt. And also, if, there's another troubling side of this, where if you look back where lynchings were happening 100 years ago, that's exactly where executions are happening. Yikes. So you, is, that, is that like the same as, uh, ah, gosh, that makes me feel like if you examine it further, the more you find repression— you know, then the more you find acting out, it comes out the other end. And I, I say stuff like that a lot, but I never even thought about this one. So people are sexually oppressed, inevitably wind up into some really dark shit and porn and stuff like that because of guilt and uh, whatever, repression. So probably people that are also repressed and legalist and filled with guilt and shame probably also lash out for justice or righteousness or, or, or bloodthirsty in, in, a, in a misguided way as well. You think that's a, the, like the flip side of the upfront moralism is to, to pay, make somebody pay as a, as a group to make, make themselves feel better? Well, I, I'm going to say that there, there's definitely a scapegoat, uh, scapegoat thing in yeah. this. That where, um, but this is why Jesus is so powerful. If you look at Jesus, Jesus died. It, he was executed. And that becomes really important because executions 2,000 years ago, Rome executed people just like we execute people. And it's been said that Jesus' execution was a public service announcement. It was to say, if you do what he did, you'll die the same way he did. And so when Jesus exposes that, it was it was actually an absolutely be- beautiful way of undermining the powers. And uh, Colossians said Jesus made a spectacle of the powers as he triumphed over them in the cross. So as he, he turns the cross, which was like an electric chair, a symbol only known for the horror of what it could do. He turns that into one of the most powerful symbols of hope and grace and forgiveness. And I think that's exactly what we misunderstand in the church. So we end up using the cross as a weapon rather than as a redemption uh, instrument. Mm-hmm. Man, good stuff, Shane. And, and you and know that's, what? And that's why people were lynched with the burning of the cross in the background. That's why people, like, were, we, kill, we did the most horrific things as white people that you can imagine doing to black people. And we did it with a Bible in our hand and a burning cross behind us, and then people went to worship on Sunday morning. You need to write a blog and, or book title or subtitle, and it's called Reweaponizing the Cross. <laughs> I like but it. it's so important that we talk about this stuff because this is this is uh i think we're in the middle of a time that's changing and and christians are starting to see things with new eyes and i think there's a lot of folks that are seeing that uh, uh th- th- there's so much at stake in this and there's a lot of misunderstood facts like you you guys said where we um we think it's more money to hold someone in prison for life but it is actually absolutely factual that 
it is more expensive to execute mm-hmm. and seek the death penalty than it is to hold someone in prison. Yeah, I've heard that too, because then the, the appeals and all the, the pomp and circumstance that surrounds it winds up costing more than the food and lodging for the, for the 50 years. Yeah, and when it comes to exonerations, it takes an average of 10 years for someone to prove their innocence. So the answer is not speeding it up. I think the answer is to say, we're done with death, and, uh, and this experiment has failed. Uh, there are better forms of justice than killing to show that killing is wrong. So, Toby, if you hear Shane say that stuff that is, is uh, you know, very profound and, and well thought out, if, to- if Joey and my kids get molested and killed and you're in charge, what, what about that? What happens to that guy? He's, he's done it 30 <sighs> times before, and he says, let me out, I'll yeah. do it again. Right. Um I, I hate those questions. I, that That is a very small percentage of people that would say that. And I would say you have to trust Jesus, and you would say <laughs> you sound try convinced. to do some rehabilitation. I mean, <laughs> for, for me, the answer is forgive, right? Or else I become like him, right? But, like, but, not, like, I mean, I mean, but at least both of you think he needs to be in jail or something, right? I mean, Shane's not some kind of rehabilitation. Loose, yeah, but, some kind of re- – no, but a real rehabilitation, not just sitting in a cell – counting you know right you know writing the days down on a wall or whatever you know like he needs real rehabilitation to try and figure out why he's like that because that guy got hurt too but oh, you're I, right I, like I, if somebody hurts me i yeah. want to hurt them that's that's my natural instinct for yeah sure. we've got to protect uh innocent people from dangerous folks uh and that that's why the pope is against the death penalty is is the the catholic church actually adjusted its position on this because they said there may have been a time and in, in some primitive societies where execution was the only way to protect a society from a dangerous person. But especially in industrialized countries, we have ways to protect folks from uh, uh, dangerous people without killing them. Hmm. And that's exactly what we should do. Uh, and, and so that that's the Catholic position on this. And, and I think it's it's one that resonates with a lot of people. So would you say the there is no justifiable reason to support the death penalty like that? It always is indicative of somebody's heart of being bloodthirsty. The, I think the death penalty can make a lot of sense. Uh, uh, but I also think that Jesus's cross offers us a different wisdom and offers us a different way that literally we can see. That as, as people were executing Jesus, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And I think that's the most powerful glimpse of love that we have, that this is what God is like and this is what we're to be more like. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy, that's a powerful statement. And I think it's, uh, it's very difficult to be rallying for the execution of someone uh, and, and so I think Jesus, like th- this idea of justice in Scripture was not just about what was done wrong and how do we punish the person, but it was actually about what harm has been done and how do we heal that harm. And that's a really different form of justice. So I think the idea of restorative justice is at the heart of Scripture. And it's a, it is about healing the, the things, the damage that people do to other people and to society. Uh-huh. But it's about healing, not about punishment. Okay, well, that, that's interesting. Well, Joey actually said he did send in one question for you. Um, we asked him, did he have anything he wanted to ask you? He says, Romans 13, uh, it's about submission to governing authorities. And he said, maybe it casts a different light on criminal justice or the death penalty, saying that, consequentially, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment 
on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. So yeah, saying I, that God put these people and these rules in place, so violate them and your head shall roll, my friend, is what it says in <laughs> Romans. I, I think it's a, a beautiful verse that I, I actually have come to love and study. And I've got a, I've, you know, I've been writing this book, Executing Grace, and I've got a section on Romans 13. But it's, it's one of the m- most misused scriptures uh, in, in church history because it's how we've justified things uh, like lynching and like Nazi Germany as we've said, well, all of this is established by God. God put Hitler in power, you know, and so I think what we're to do is we're actually um, we're, we're called to what John Howard Yoder calls revolutionary subordination. That to be subordinate doesn't mean we uh, obey every authority. Because you think of someone like uh, I mean, all of us can name leaders that weren't appointed by God. You know, you think of, of Saddam Hussein was he appointed by God? And you're like, no, like he was put in place by the U.S. government. But anyway, you know, like like you, you think like. What, what do you do as a Christian in that? And I think there's two ways of submitting. And uh, one of them is by obeying the good laws and disobeying the bad laws uh, mm-hmm. is the other one. You know, suffering the consequences for civil disobedience. And I think that's a powerful thing. But I think the idea that God has uh, ordained the right of Caesar or of governments to take life is a very problematic assumption, and I don't believe that. I don't think uh, that—I think Jesus challenges that on every level uh, of—does—and the early Christians were emphatic across the board on the death penalty and other things that life which God created, Mm -hmm. man has no right to take away. And so actually the early Christians went so far as to say a Christian doesn't um, even—shouldn't even work for the apparatus of government that takes that life— and, uh, and, and they had a very consistent ethic of life from abortion to the death penalty to militarism. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that we can rediscover today is a consistent ethic of life to say every person is created in the image of God. And every time we take away a life, we lose part of God's image in the world. So last one is, so are you, where do you, are you glad on Obama get, getting, knocking out Osama? What's your thought on that one? Oh, that's the last I, thing I got. So, yeah, I, I don't think that Christian uh, – I don't, I don't think we should ever rejoice in death. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, people just jumped. You know, there was a whole, like, applause in one of the, the uh, sports stadiums. And I think we should lament any time we see uh, someone's life. I was on a plane, and I think Saddam did some terrible things, and Osama bin Laden did some terrible things. But you, you look at, you look at um, the Scripture, and I, I look at someone like – Saul of Tarsus. And I think, man, he was, by every single definition, he was a terrorist. He was a religious extremist who set himself out to annihilate the early Christian movement, went door to door trying to kill Christians. Saul of Tarsus looked more like ISIS than a saint, Hmm. but he gets knocked off his rocker. He gets blinded by the Spirit of God. He has this transformation that so radically converts and becomes changes his name from Saul and Paul, and he goes off to to write um, half the New Testament. So if we believe that a terrorist is beyond redemption, we can rip out half the New Testament because it was written by one. All right. Damn. Damn. That's right. Hey, uh, (laughs) 
Hey, do you have a few more minutes so we can do the news, or you, do you need to go? We 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 told you four thirty, and we're running over. We're okay, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, let's right, let's cool, have cool, Shane cool. in on the news. I'd like it. Yeah, sounds good right. to me. All right, well, Shane, well, I appreciate all the stuff that you have been saying, man. Uh, I mean, you're right. The Bible is written by terrorists. Yep. We need to believe it fully. We're crossing but out Romans right 13. Now, it's gone. It's terrorism. Yep, right now, we need some truth. The number one thing we need is some truth, and so that's what I'm going to give you right now with the damn news. Matt, kick the music. <laughs> Shane, you're doing a great job co-hosting. Yeah, hey, this is amazing. You, I want to raise do you have any free time? Like, maybe you could do this more often. Tuesdays? Are Tuesdays good for you? In a world where Joey Spenson is not here and you've never been more happy because your good friend Shane Claiborne is just killing it on the Bad Christian Podcast. My name's Toby Morrell, and this is the damn news. Right on. What have you got for us today? This is going to be good. All right. I, I got some serious stuff. I know we've been talking about a lot of stuff. We've been talking about church and where we're headed. We've been talking about prison and the death penalty and all this stuff. So I, I, I kind of wanted to start out with a uh, a prison story, if that's okay, okay with you guys. Finally. This is kind of tough. This one's, I, I think it's just sad. It's kind of going, just bouncing up right off of what we were talking about before. And this comes from the from newser.com. Man gets 30 years for giving a deadly wedgie. <laughs> an Oklahoma man who gave his stepfather a fatal atomic wedgie was on Thursday <laughs> sentenced to 30 years for the crime. Brad Davis, who is 34 years old, in May pleaded guilty to first-degree manslaughter and the death of Denver Lee Street, uh, Denver Lee St. Clair. At the time, Davis said he killed the 58-year-old in the heat of passion while defending myself in a fight that got out of hand and went too far. Police say both men had been drinking, surprise, surprise, on the night, and a fight ensued, and after St. Clair allegedly spoke ill of his estranged wife, Davis's mother, that's when Davis started to kill him with an atomic wedgie. In a hearing early in the case, investigators testified that Davis knocked out his stepfather before the killer wedgie and took photos both before and after. St. Clair was found dead with his underwear <laughs> pulled over his head. <laughs> this is awful. With the elastic band cutting off his air. Oh, so man. here's the thing. Shane, you've been talking a lot. Do we need to set this guy free? <laughs> I'm just Shane, what, what do you think about this? I mean, this guy killed somebody with an atomic wedgie. What, what's our rehabilitation? What is our stance on this? What do you think, man? I'm just sad by that. Oh, wow. Because, I mean, all of us have given a wedgie to somebody, but we've never killed anybody. You, uh, my question is, was he just going for the atomic wedgie to be funny, and then he realized, oh, no, he killed, he killed his stepdad or whatever? Is that, is that the case? Yeah, I'm unclear on whether this is accidental death. I mean, not. I don't think he was attempting to murder intentionally either way, I don't think. But, uh, right? Like, this was a surprise I mean, the cause him. of death is listed as blunt force trauma and asphyxiation. I can't yeah. say that word. Yeah, that's, so. that, if it's blunt force trauma as part of it, then that, that means that he, you know, was beating him. It wasn't a joke. I'll put it that way. No joke. Right. Like, he pulled his underwear all the way over his head, and then he choked to death on his underwear that was over his head. And was beaten to death, too. So pretty dark. Pretty Sad. Dark. But, I mean, we all uh, do we all think he should be set free? Not set free, no. 
this is a strange and sad, horrific thing. I, I think that the question is, uh, uh, so how can we heal the wounds of what was done? Uh, of the atomic and, wedgie. And certainly prevent such things from happening to other folks. So my brother apparently needs some help. I'm sure he's, you know, I don't know what people what the story I don't have much to say about that story I don't know the people involved but I think that you, you go how can we heal what was done so we I mean somebody's life was taken it should break our hearts every time you know I think God weeps with us when we weep so you know I'll pray for that brother's family and for the brother that did it I think sometimes we do things and we always look back afterwards and go how in the world did I do that or that wasn't even me you know so I hope that's what he's thinking bless him yeah, good start, I, Toby. Dude, I'm I'm not doing this show ever again. I, no. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were definitely expecting you to make. We're being sarcastic and we're about to lighten it up. Is totally where I we're was talking, talking about. about prison. It's one thing to have the onion where it's made up news. That ain't made up. That sounds like the onion exactly. I'm gonna call my congressman and get atomic wedgie legislation passed. <laughs> Shane, you're so much nicer than us. It's kind of not fun to talk to you about these things. <laughs> I'm almost with Shane, my friend. <laughs> you got outvoted. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when I can fire somebody from doing the news, but maybe that's after three shows or something. Is that awesome? He is. Uh, Shane is just amazing. He's already taken over Joey's I role. Know. Unbelievable. Unprompted. I mean, jo- Joey always complains about my news, this and you're a- you're killing it <laughs> right yeah. now. By the way, that was brought by to you by a roving reporter for the damn news, a fan of the damn news that supports us. His name is Joey Rykoff, and I I appreciate the news. I always want to be I want to always want to be honest about it. Now, this one I thought was interesting too. This one is a potentially a lady that you know could go to jail for this and spend some time in jail. But I thought this was interesting. This comes from uh, the Channel Four News in New York. A New Jersey high school teacher accused of sex with six students left defenseless by a brain condition, says attorney. And this is another roving reporter sent this to me, Derek Overstreet. A high school teacher accused of having sex with six male students has a brain condition that left her defenseless to the student's aggressive behavior, her lawyer said Tuesday. Nicole Default, who is 36 years old of Caldwell, pleaded not guilty in April to aggravated sexual assault and child endangerment charges. Default was was a language arts teacher at Columbia High School in Maplewood before she was arrested last September. Authorities have said that the victims were 14 and 15-year-old boys, and the assaults occurred numerous times between 2013 and 2014. Some of the sex acts occurred on school property and in Default's car, they said. Her attorney, Timothy Smith, uh, told NJ.com, that the teacher suffers from frontal lobe syndrome, a condition that experts say is associated with socially inappropriate behavior. It also leaves them unable to control their impulses, among other system, uh, among other symptoms. Sorry, Smith said default's condition stems from a brain surgery that she had after complications from her first pregnancy. During that surgery, a shunt was installed in her brain. So, do you guys believe her? Do you think that she was incapable? Uh, that, that all of a sudden these students wanted to have sex with her. She couldn't stop because of her shunt in her brain, and she slept with six dudes. What do you guys actually think? 
Well, not I'm, all at once. I, I'm not buying it as a def, as a criminal defense here at all. Um, but that it, there is things to your brain. Like I mean, there's some really wacky stuff that can happen if you mess with the frontal lobe, for sure. Shane, what do you do, dude? When I you believe her? Do you for? I mean, you forgive her? You're okay with it? Talk about the news. I was thinking maybe about Sandra Bland. You know, the lady that died. In- <laughs> no. Like that's real news. We're, we're talking. Nope, you're trying. You're trying to get off topic, my friend. You're trying to get off topic. What do you of believe course about I'm trying this? To get off topic. <laughs> I'm trying, You've been talking I'm trying about to get- prison and all this stuff. You cannot talk about a shunt in the brain and somebody <laughs> sleeping with six people. You can do that. You know what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm praying for your soul. <laughs> I, I mean, have you done this before? You're amazing at podcasting, by the way. I mean, I just got to give you credit. I mean, you're killing this. I mean, <laughs> if anybody could replace Joey, it, it, it is Shane Claiborne. This is unbelievable. Yeah, I'm with Shane. You got to move on. We got no reaction for you, Toby. Move I believe it caused you. It caught you guys off guard. I mean, this is the real news, and it's hard to it's hard to swallow. No, no. it's hard to understand. Shane, Shane is right. Let's move on. <laughs> How many more of these do we have I to think do? Hopefully, one more, right? Seventeen more. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do all right, I'll more. give you all an easy one. I thought this was kind of interesting, and Matt, this comes from. Uh, I can't believe y'all don't have anything to say about that. Uh, I, so I will talk about it. I believe that that woman is lying that she cheated on her husband and hooked up with guys, and she's blaming a physical condition that most likely didn't matter. I mean, a shunt is very serious. And potentially devastating and, and having to do those things. But I believe that she is lying. That's what I would say. I, I don't believe her. And no matter what, sleeping, I, I don't believe that shunt actually made her all of a sudden want to sleep with underage kids who are 14 and 15. I think that lady's shady and bad. And those 14 and 15-year-old boys are in trouble now for the rest of their life. Like that, That's going to affect them for the rest of their life. So if you guys won't say that, that's what I will say. But moving on. <laughs> Uh, Okay, I thought this was interesting. This is a lighter one. And, Matt, this comes from Seattle. Uh, A uh, bartender says he received this patronizing economics card instead of an actual tip. And this comes from Grub Street. And I thought this was interesting because, as you know, Seattle now, this thing that everybody thinks is cool, has Mm -hmm. increased the minimum wage to $15, right? Yep. Okay. So... Um, they show a picture of it, and I'm going to read this picture here. And so basically, instead of a tip, the guy at the bar left this card. And he says, why I don't tip in Seattle? Economics 101. As the compensation for your service increases, there is a cost to me as the consumer to pay for that increase. As I have no control over the Seattle City, Seattle City Council's decision to redistribute wealth, I can only exercise the rights left to me. Number one, I can choose not to eat out. Then who would pay for your wages, my friend? Number two, I can choose to be a carry-in for the city's councils, city council's vultures. Or three, I can choose not to tip and explain why and provide a free economics lesson. Basically, he says, it's not about your service, but basically, I, if you're going to get paid $15 an hour, I'm incurring a, an extra cost no matter what. I'm not going to tip you. Mm-hmm. So that is what the bartender got left and that is, he said, so you'll know, you also know that the card was helpfully, card helpfully points people to Facebook 
account that you could probably uh, be wise to avoid. Since, si- since Seattle's minimum wage is actually being uh, slowly phased in over several years, there's a good chance that more of these cars will pop up in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, do you think now that people, like a bartender in Seattle, makes $15 an hour, you should tip? Well, a lot of stuff here. Shane, we can, we can do this one, can't we? I, yeah, I think so. Okay, we can talk about this. All right. Shane's I devastated. Wanted make, I wanted to make sure Shane was good to talk <laughs> the about truth, The truth has affected Shane in a way that I've never seen before. <laughs> you know what I was going – I thought you was getting ready to say that, you know, Bill Cosby did – he was – I, I, I mean, like, I'm just – that dude just needs to be more generous, I think. Just tip people, man. <laughs> tip people. No, but you wouldn't. But I mean, what if you're already? Pay, I mean, if you had to pay extra, how do you have money to tip people? Dude, I mean, don't, if, don't if you want to take your wife out for a night on the town, and all of a sudden your bill increases by a certain percentage, do you still have to tip? Like other countries don't tip. Like when we go to Australia, they get paid a very high wage. You do not tip them because right. it's coming out of your taxes. It's coming out in other ways, and, and or just the cost of the meal. They they increase the money so. I mean, it sounds nice just to tip people, but is that actually the right thing? You know what? Here, here it is. Money has too much power, and the way that we give it power is by holding it with clenched fists, and the way we take away its power is by holding it with open palms. So just give it away, man. It's paper. It's paper. <laughs> I like that. Let me uh, give hold on. my thoughts uh, Shane, on Shane, how often do you eat out a week? Does Taco Bell count? <laughs> <laughs> How often, you do you, how often do you go to a place where there's a server and you have to tip? Oh, man, I stay out of them places. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm a 20% tipper. I'm a, yep. And I don't care how much, if I'm in a place that taxes or, I, I mean, like, how are you going to make the, the, the little man suffer because of what Big Brother's doing? That's what I'm saying. All right, well, let me explain this. When I have definite thoughts on this one. Uh, people give me a hard time for being anti-tip. I, first of all, before I say anything about being anti-tip, I tip 20%. I always okay. tip 20%. I resent it, however, and don't think it's good. And minimum wage, same way. I care about servers, and I care about people that get low wages and the uh, the people in poverty, stuff like that. These aren't the ways to fix them. They, those practices are regressive and tipping is sexist and racist and not fair and harmful in the long run. It, I will be vindicated in the future. There will be more and more restaurants who eventually shun the sexist, racist practice of tipping. And there will be more service charges included. The, the wages will get where they should be. And they won't allow tipping in restaurants in the future. It will be gone eventually. And that's not because I don't care about servers. It's because I, I do care about them. And the minimum wage is a terrible idea because it's just one that sounds good and it's easy to vote for. If you want to help poor people, there are much better ways to do it. They would probably be much more complicated, harder to explain. They would probably involve uh, removing income tax for anybody that makes under $35,000 a year, Um, other more complicated reforms that could be much, much more helpful to this. But the the minimum wage is causing a lot of problems and is going to continue to, one of which being now in Seattle, people are starting to complain to their bosses and ask them, please reduce their hours as their wages rise because they're now not being qualified for help, uh, welfare and other social programs because they're making too much money. So they're, now they want to get paid less and reduce their hours to maintain their benefits. So it's not, it's not going to work right. 
Man, you got on a soapbox. Here's That's one for you. What, what about a maximum wage? You think people should be able to make, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, over a thousand dollars an hour when their workers are making, uh, you know, fifteen bucks an hour? You know, the average CEO is making over four hundred times the average worker. Yeah. And uh, the average worker's got to work an entire month to make what the CEO makes in an hour. What do you think about a maximum wage, man? Hey, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not commenting on on any of that stuff other than to say that I do care about social reform. I do care about poverty and poor people minimum wage ain't the fix that's a popular uh, political thing that's what i'm saying about that and tipping actually has a lot of problems built into it nice looking uh people uh w- you know a, a nice looking white girl gets tipped more than some other race and guy for instance and that's Hell yeah. that's proven i mean it statistically bears out that people that are nice looking genetically are going to get tipped better and ugly people less so it's not I right have- it's a broken world, man. I just saw a Freakonomics thing that said uh, they did these studies and young, like, uh, blonde women get so much more money for charity work. Absolutely. That, that, you know, and they were saying, exactly. so, like, uh, but you know what? I'm not going to say, hey, we shouldn't have charities or something. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, interesting. That was, that was the most interesting, new, what, the weirdest news <laughs> segment I've ever heard in my life. Shane, you roll with it naturally. I think you were caught off guard, and you found a way to make the whole thing roll and be entertaining. And I, I know you didn't see that coming, but you nailed it, my friend. Thank you for putting in a real reaction and making the making the show be entertaining and keep on going. I, we appreciate. Yeah, thank that. you for joining us. Man. And I got to <laughs> thank Toby. I wouldn't have not have gone that uncomfortable with a prominent person. I'm in, in I'm a slave to as, the as, truth as Shane Claiborne as to take it that dark and that uncomfortable. But Toby <laughs> stuck it out and then Shane stepped up and I think it made that segment actually really interesting. I think that's a really interesting thing yeah. that happened in Christianity and podcasting about the Hey, I learned today really that no matter that. what, I was no really death penalty for an atomic wedgie. <laughs> yeah, atomic wedgie, no death penalty. I learned that today and I'm proud. I'm happy. I'm excited. Well, Shane, thank you for joining our episode and co-hosting with us today. That was awesome. That was fun. Yeah, you did a killer, man. It's unbelievable. Signing off. Who? <laughs> 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 uh, hey, man, thanks so much, dude. That Are was you awesome. available uh, on Tuesdays? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you write books and all that stuff, dude. We need this. You are amazing. If you're not podcasting, you got to get on it. It's unbelievable. I have a bad dream about that wedgie. <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrible. That's, that was sad. That was just sad. <laughs> Apologies if that seemed insensitive. That if that was uncomfortable. If, it's, if it seemed insensitive. <laughs> That was that was a definition of insensitive. You look it up, it's just got somebody waving at you when you look up insensitive. It says insensitive. For instance, talking about a man that died of a wedgie, that's insensitive. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. <laughs> oh, help me. Oh man, that was all. <laughs> all right, all right, fellas, I'm out of here. Don't all ever, right, talk, thanks, man. Don't that was ever awesome. talk I... back again. 
Dat was dat die leuk. Ja, thank you, Shane. Zie je wel. Oh. Man, you gotta put that in there. Yeah, I'll leave that whole thing in there. Oh, wow, that got me. That was awesome. People can't, we, we're, you and I are too mean. We aren't we? Or is that well, what it is? I, I, you know, you, you crossed the line again for me, my friend, that time. I, 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 can't I didn't cross the line. Worked. I just purported a story. That yeah, is, that's the point it. of it. That's the point, though. <laughs> the point is, how can you make such strong statements about this and this is what you believe? But you would let a guy who gave an atomic wedgie go or something. Or what? (laughs) That's awesome, right? I like it, yeah. I mean, but I'm just saying, like, seriously, in the world, if you can say stuff... And then you present something like that where people are like, you're pushing yeah, that guy the boundary. I'm just saying, you're pushing the boundary there. That's what I love. I love it. I can't stop it. <laughs> I didn't think it would be that serious. Like, I didn't think, I thought we would all laugh or whatever. Atomic Wedge is funny, but like, now in retrospect, I go, yeah, I mean, you can, you can have an opinion about prison <laughs> and the death penalty and all this stuff, but there are true stories of somebody killing somebody with an atomic wedgie or whatever well, it might that's be. You know what I mean? What's crazy about the moment that was created and captured that time was it was Shane sitting there going, "Wait, what's happening? Wait, what is this? Is this what? What am I supposed to? That that part of it is just too much. Like he didn't know what was going on. Yeah, and then he chose a way to deal with it. And he did he did good. But I mean, he, he genuinely did not appreciate that. Yeah, I think you're right. But, but I mean, from my standpoint, all I did was just present a news article. I mean, to think about most people that get to interview Shane Claiborne. Hey, you get to interview Shane Claiborne now. They don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I like about it more than anything. He did so good, though. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, he, he really did great. He just didn't, he didn't like it or whatever. But that, that's just him being real. So that's why I, I thought it was cool. Like, you know, you don't like this. But, I mean, all I did... Was read, was read a real story that happened. Yeah, I know. Right? I mean, I, oh, I get it. And then respond to it. I get and, it. And so, like, it, like I mean, it, to me, at this point in my life, like, honestly, it, to laugh at something, to laugh at something might be the almost the exact same reaction as to cry about it. <laughs> I, I know that sounds terrible, but, That's exactly- like, like, seriously, if you die... <laughs> 